I'm Edda. I'm Ryan. And this is Work Feels. We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we work and live on, and pay our respects to Indigenous Elders past and present. Sovereignty has never been ceded, it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey team, and welcome to our next episode of Work Feels. Today we are talking about mental health at work, whether you work in an office or outdoors or at home, this is all about how we're feeling at work. That's right, team. We are chatting all things mental health at work and how important it is in order for us to be working at our best, engaging at work, and giving us the ability to manage the responsibilities of our jobs amongst the complexities and craziness of our everyday lives. This topic is really important to us, and it is also one of the main reasons that we started this podcast. Your mental health is number one when it comes to well-being and is pretty tough to excel at your job if your mind isn't in a good place. I've certainly found myself in tears at work on multiple occasions, sometimes because maybe my manager was just not managing me the way that I like to be managed, and other times when my commitments outside of work are just coming down on me like a ton of bricks and it's just all too hard to keep it all in, in balance Sometimes it's just really hard to maintain optimism and that, you know, peak productivity and excellent capitalist persona <laughs> when, when you're just having a tough time and at the end of the day, your mental health struggles. Absolutely. I can 100% relate. And I've certainly had days where something's going on outside of work and it's like so bad that I my anxiety is so through the roof that I literally can't, like I couldn't read words on my screen. The words were like jumping around, couldn't read a sentence, couldn't draw, I couldn't, you know, I could, literally could not do my job. And I often think, what was I doing? If I was feeling, if I was coming down with the flu, I would have just left. Yeah, imagine if you couldn't read your screen because you had the flu. You would just be out of there in a flash. Yeah, I'd be like, oh my God, hey, I'm coming down. Like, I need to go. (laughs) I need to bounce. I need to get out of here because I know what's happening. It's a physical ailment. There's very little stigma around that. But because I was just having the biggest anxiety attack on the edge of like tears and like not being able to like actually function properly. But I was like, oh no, it's mental health. I I, I probably should just soldier on, which is so stupid. Yeah, totally. It's so common for that to be the case. So common. All right, team. So to get us set up for our guest interview and conversation, we just wanted to run over some of the biggest stats that we see floating around the interwebs about mental health in the workplace. And just to kind of give us a picture of like the enormity of of this issue and how important it is and how much it does affect everyone. So, work-related stress, the World Health Organization estimated that over 300 million people worldwide were affected by depression, one of the leading causes of workplace absenteeism and productivity loss. On the topic of burnout, 
Uh, Gallup did a study which showed that 76% of employees experienced burnout at least sometimes. And just to break down burnout at work, the top five factors that correlate with high employee burnout are unfair treatment at work, unmanageable workloads, unclear communication from managers, lack of manager support, and unreasonable time pressure, all of which I feel are so common in the workplace and not necessarily always linked to something as severe as burnout. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that there is all very leadership based Mm, as well. Yeah. Uh, Stigma and disclosure. So a survey conducted by the American Psychological Association found that 48% of workers reported their employer provided resources to support mental health, but only 35% of those workers felt comfortable actually using them. They're trying to do the right thing by providing some resources but there is still that stigma that if you go and access it, that it's showing weakness. It's you're worried about your job being put at risk. You know, you, you don't want others to know. There's so much stigma around disclosing or talking about mental health at work, which I think really needs to change. Yeah, totally. And dare I mention psychological safety, but ding, 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 ding. I do think that once again... It comes down to psychological safety at work and building that safe space for people to bring their whole selves to work. Uh, The next one is productivity loss. This is pretty staggering. So mental health issues, mental health issues contributed to decreased productivity and increased absenteeism in the workplace. According to the World Health Organization, depression and anxiety cost the global economy an estimated $1 trillion per year in lost productivity, which is just like, it's hard to even fathom those kind of numbers. But I think we can all... uh, Yeah, how many zeros are in a trillion? I don't even know how many zeros are in a trillion. But in conclusion, it's uh, mental health is really, really key and really important. And really expensive. and really expensive. And it's actually very important for businesses to acknowledge it because it's affecting their bottom line as well at the end of the day, not only the human beings there. The capitalist system that is just all about squeezing the humans for all they're worth is finally being brought to its knees by a compelling approach, <laughs> which is this is actually more expensive than that they estimated in the first place. So maybe we should just look after our people. Our next guest is Tasha Broomhall, who is the founder and director of Blooming Minds, a workplace mental health consultancy that helps organizations to build positive mental health cultures. Tasha holds a Master of Science in Psychology and is undertaking a PhD in workplace psychological well-being. Tasha is also the founder and editor-in-chief of Blooming Minds magazine and the author of three books and two journals promoting personal and organisational mental health. Welcome, Tasha. We would love to hear your story. What got you interested in mental health at work and inspires some of the work that you do today? 
I mean, it's a long story, so I'll try to keep it brief. Um, I always wanted to study psychology. And when I first left school, I actually went into disability instead, worked a little bit in disability and aged care, and then went back and studied psychology. And from there, got my first job in a workplace mental health service here in Perth that no longer exists. But at the time, the focus was what's called psychiatric vocational rehabilitation. So it was using work as a means of recovery from severe or chronic mental health issues. And it was the most amazing experience to really get to see how different the lived experience of severe mental health issues were compared to what I'd learned at uni. Um, you know, in an undergrad psych degree, there was a lot of focus on statistics, um, <laughs> which is always, I think, surprising for first year psychology students. And a lot of, you know, a lot of focus on what researchers thought a long time ago. But in this first role of employment I had, I really got to see up close and personal people who were living with severe or chronic mental health issues that were you know, fighting for their right to be able to be in workplaces sometimes. Um, sometimes there was a lot of stigma about mental health issues and so they weren't sharing their personal experiences at work. And we were supporting them, you know, on the on the side. Um, other times it was a very open experience and we were supporting them and their colleagues. And so that, for me, really opened up a whole new world I hadn't even been aware of before and really helped me to see that actually in lots of these workplaces there are people living with mental health issues and these few people we're working with are getting support but probably most of the people in that workplace need some sort of support at some point and anything we could do to design work better for the clients we were working with surely would actually design work better for everybody there. So in terms of, as we mentioned before, it's mental health in the workplace is an enormous topic. So we're hearing a lot about it, I guess, as we, especially post during the pandemic and post pandemic. So what does mental health and the workplace mean to you and, and what does it encompass? So you're right, huge topic. Uh, the area that I focus on is working with organisations around how they can systemically create more mentally healthy workplaces. Um, if we think of mental health itself as a topic, we've talked about that a lot more as a society over the last 20 or so years. But even when we're talking about it at a societal level, we often shortcut to talking about mental illness or mental health issues or mental health problems. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different perspectives as to what language we should be using. Um, I tend to use the terms mental health issue or mental disorder coming from that psychological background, but it's really important to listen to whatever terminology people use about for themselves. In the workplace though, we shouldn't just be talking about mental health issues. Even if we are talking about, um, you know, using that kind of language of mental health issues or mental health problems, we should be talking about the whole continuum of mental health. So mental health is not something that just some people have. We all have it. And we'll sometimes have times where we're doing awesomely with our mental health and well-being, where we're positively connected, where we're feeling really robust and, and strong and able to deal with whatever things come our way. And then there'll be times when we're actually really struggling and feeling overwhelmed and finding it difficult to function in our usual roles and relationships. And there's a few different models of how that's represented. My favourite model is called the two continuum model. You can see I'm a research geek. My favourite model. So this says that we've got this one horizontal line. So of the, the, you know, from mental disorder to mentally well, and we all flow 
you know, fluctuate up and down that. But then it also says that we add in a vertical line. And this vertical con continuum goes from languishing at the bottom through to flourishing at the top. And so when I've traditionally been working with organisations around their workplace mental health cultures and their obligations around psychological health and safety, they often just want to focus on the point where a person's unwell and they're languishing. So they're not doing very well, they're feeling a bit stuck, they're possibly not getting the help they need. But as I say to them, that's only one quadrant. You've got three other quadrants people might be in that you need to think about. So if we think at the bottom right-hand quadrant where you've got somebody who's languishing and they're essentially well, they don't need professional help. They don't need you to connect them with your provider. They might just need someone to talk to them and help them find some motivation and find some opportunities for resetting their goals and you know getting some optimism and some direction. If we imagine that two continuum again, if we've got up the top right-hand side, someone who's well and who's flourishing, your workplace doesn't need to talk to them about illness. Your workplace needs to get out of their way and actually help them to maintain that flourishing. And, and also, essentially, if you've got a workplace that they're – so flourishing, um, I'm not sure if you've covered this on the podcast before, but the definition in this keys model of flourishing is around living a values-based life, living a way that's purposeful and directioned, living in a way that's aligned with your values and that you have hope and optimism. So if you've got a workplace and you've got people who are flourishing, you want to keep them. You don't want your workplace to be really out of kilter with its own values and people to go, I'm going to opt out of here because this is not a safe place to be, right? And we've seen that a lot in the last couple of years globally, right? And then you've got the top left-hand side, which is, I think, a really neglected area. And that's where when we intersect, we've got somebody who's got mental disorder, but they're flourishing. And that's certainly where I see the really interesting space where we can go, okay, just like you'll have employees with other chronic health issues, you might have somebody who um, has diabetes or who has asthma or who has arthritis and they might be managing that really well and they don't need anything from you the work from the workplace you will also have people with chronic mental health issues in that space who are managing it well got the supports they need and they might really not like some of their workplace initiatives that focus just on illness because they may not feel it relates to them so my my work is really across all those four quadrants helping organisations see, well, where are people at in your workplace? Not to try to diagnose or therapise them, but in general, recognising that you've got obligations to not create the illness side of that continuum. So in Australia, we've got some, you know, in increased focus on the regulations around psychological health and safety. But it's not just about an illness model or a prevention of harm model. It's also about that whole person. How do we help people flourish? Because then they and the business both benefit. I love the quadrant picture in my mind. That was actually just like opened up a, a new kind of way of looking at mental health in the workplace. Because we do it so often in the workplace with like personalities and, and all those um, and working styles and all those kind of things. And we're, you know, happy to put ourselves in a, in a particular quadrant. And then even with when you spoke about, um, you know, physical health and how, again, it's very easy to talk about physical health in a workplace or have, you know, people being able to manage things in a workplace. And it's not just focused on illness when it's physical, but when it's mental, we always tend to just focus straight away on an, on the illness side. So yeah, love, love the quadrant. 
that's a great way of thinking about it. And I, I guess the key with it is, you know, much like even if we are doing personality profiling tools, we don't want to get stuck on them in a way that caricaturizes people or stereotypes people, right? At best, those sorts of tools are great to start conversations about individual perspectives and needs. And so is this to continue. It's not meant to be prescriptive. It's not saying here you'll have these needs, here you'll have those needs. It's about recognising the diversity of experience and needs that you'll have in your workplace and therefore really advocating for that flexible approach that's required. So if um, if you're struggling with your mental health at work, which some of our listeners may relate to, and, and Ryan and I certain, certainly can relate to, um, you, and you're sort of starting to feel like it's impacting your ability to do your job or even impacting your relationships within the workplace, is this something that you should bring up with your boss and do you think that poor mental health is an excuse for not doing your job properly? I say that with acknowledging it's a little bit of a provocative question. Look, I think that any health issue we're experiencing could affect our capacity to perform our role. You know, um, I know I'm a bit asthmary at the moment here in Perth. We've had some um, controlled burning happening in the country and it's we're just kind of shrouded in smoke a bit at the moment. So my asthma is a bit triggered today. That has affected my work. You know, I was having to talk to a group earlier and it was harder to talk for an hour. Um, like I usually can talk underwater, right? But it was a little bit hard today because I'm a bit more breathless. So any health issue can affect our capacity for, for working doesn't mean it's an excuse it's just a reality that it can affect our capacity whether we should tell our workplace about that or not is you know if we go back to a um a perspective of what's required of employees it's required of us that we're not able to if we're not able to meet the inherent requirements of our role that we are required to disclose or share with our workplace that yep i'm experiencing whatever health issue this might be i have a really dodgy knee so very often when i'm going into client workplaces um, particularly if I'm going on to, you know, mine sites or the like, I have to let them know, hey, I've, I've you know, if I'm going to be on uneven ground, I need to use a crutch and um, that's going to mean I'm not climbing your ladders and etc. So letting them know beforehand. Um, we have a requirement to let our employer know if we're not able to meet the requirements of the role that we're employed to do. But I think it's a step before that that's really worth the discussion because my observation in 23 years of doing this work is, doesn't matter how impactful the person's health issues, mental health or otherwise are, if it doesn't feel socially safe to talk about it, they're not going to, right? So that's the bit that I think comes first. And it's it's an interesting, um, I know you were being um, deliberately provocative at around, is it an excuse? I think that it, you've hit the nail on the head of what some people think, right? So I will often work with leaders who might say, oh, I had this staff member come out and saying they were having mental health issues just because we were starting to performance manage them and they were using it as an excuse. And I often say, were they using it as an excuse or was this the first time that they felt compelled that they had to say something and they've just been masking up until now? And now the stakes are so high that they feel they have to tell you, but actually they still may not feel safe to be having this conversation with you. And my observation with employees, and this is not just here in Australia, this is globally, is that if you create that safety for people to have the conversation, then they'll have it when it's relevant to them. If you don't, then you risk them only telling you when the stakes are really high that they feel they have to. 
And then we're responding a lot more to crises and to problems, and that's not what we want. We want to recognise that mental health issues are human issues. We see the statistics really clearly. One in five of us in here will have mental health issue or mental illness, diagnosable level mental illness. Most of us in this country don't go and get help for that. Most of us just struggle on and do the best that we can. In our lifetime, it's one in two of us, right? One in two of us, it's someone pretty darn close to you. If it's not you, it's the person sitting next to you, right? So we have to get over the stigma, recognise that these are just health issues that all humans can experience and recognise that, therefore, let's design for inclusion of positive mental health and well-being and let's design work and our conversations at work in a way that makes it safe for people to have these conversations when it's relevant, not just tick are you okay day or tick mental health week, but when it's actually relevant for them as an individual, that they have that that sense of trust and safety that I can tell you where I'm at and you're not going to try and jump in and psychoanalyze me. You're not going to tell me what your mother did that really worked for her. You're not going to um, tell me that I must take time off because sometimes that's the worst thing. You know, work can be protective for our mental health. It can be an awesome um, factor in our recovery from mental health issues. So we don't want to do a cookie cutter approach but we do want to create that safety so that employees can tell us genuinely what's going on for them when it's relevant. Mm. I love how you use as well the example of your knee and, and referencing it as, as mental health, as, as a health issue. And sort of because we are so we're so used to thinking about physical injuries as, of course, we have to accommodate and we have to respect that, you know, if, if you need crutches on the mind site, then that's of course you need that. However, we so often don't have the same sort of, I guess, lens or feeling around mental health. So calling it a health issue sort of, I don't know, I, th- I really like that. And, and I also, I think that the idea that it's, yes, it's your responsibility to talk about the fact that maybe you're not doing your job. However, if you're not, if you don't feel safe to do so, that's a really tricky situation. Yeah, and we probably need to do both, right? We probably need to let employees know you do have a responsibility to to be fit for work and if you're not meeting those requirements, cascade into something much bigger, yeah? Um, If I'm in a safety-critical role and I'm um, affected by a mental health issue which is therefore affecting my cognitions, my thinking, and I therefore take a what's perceived as a shortcut, but it's just because my concentration and memory is a bit affected, and I then create a safety incident, that's something that I do need to actually, as an employee, take responsibility upstream for of having those conversations. At the same time, we need to be making sure that the workplace is a safe place for me to have that conversation. And it often requires really simple skill development in leaders. It's not about putting on an awareness day. It's about developing skills and both the competence and the confidence in leaders to be able to hear from somebody that they're having some mental health issues and know how to respond to that in a way that manages your boundaries as a leader but is also incredibly respectful of that person's individual experience and not intrusive. And that's absolutely possible to teach. We just haven't focused on those skills. We've focused so much on awareness raising for the last 20-odd years. We haven't actually backed it up with the skill development, but we we absolutely need to. Mm, Absolutely. 
acknowledging mental health in a workplace can be really tricky, as we've said, and often you might not want to give away too much personal information, but being able to communicate how you're feeling can really help. So I guess that directly relates to obviously having the safe environment to do so. What are some ideas to, um, that you're seeing that to start normalizing mental health chats, um, any cool things happening in workplaces that teams are engaging in or one-on-ones um, to really start to destigmatize mental health at work? Yeah, so one of the first things that we do when we're working with organisations is some education around that two-continuum model so that people actually understand what we're talking about because there's still so much myth and misinformation. Um, you know, I had somebody who was he was heading for retirement, I think he was in his early to mid-60s a couple of years ago in a course who said, I've never, ever met anyone in my whole career with mental illness. I was like, Really? He's like, no, never. I, I, you know, I'm open to it. I'm, I'm open to learning, but I've never met anyone, which, I mean, that would be really bizarre, right? It's half of us. So, so interesting that we might still have these misconceptions. Another person that I worked with who was in a very senior role in a large organisation who came to me at morning tea, tea of a, a two-day course and said to me, hang on a minute, you're talking a lot about this as if it's currently relevant in our workplace. I was like, yep, it is. And he said, you mean that there'd be people here in this organisation, like this is an organisation with thousands and thousands of people, you mean there's someone here in this organisation currently working who has depression? It's like, yep, yep, lots of them. It's almost like being being in disbelief that someone in that organisation has suffered from a heart attack. Yeah, right. Or has suffered from... I don't know, any other like physical health issue. It's, it's again, bring, bringing mental and physical back down onto the same playing field. We, we all have our health. It's, it's, an, it's an ever-present, <laughs> continuous thing our entire lives, just as we have our mental health. Yeah. So when I got talking to him, what was really fascinating was the only mental model he had of depression was somebody in his personal life who had been chronically unwell with depression for decades and had very, very limited um, employment, social, personal care functioning. They were very, very unwell and required a whole lot of support intervention on a daily basis for decades. And so therefore his perception of how could that person ever work, you know, blew his mind. Whereas what he was only seeing was one example of what depression might look like and not the multitude of other lived experiences that people in his workplace would have so hence we start with talking about that model um, when I start working with people I encourage leaders in particular to always talk about mental and physical health whenever they're talking about health and safety so we know that they've got obligations around both mental and physical health but often there's a reversion to just talking about physical health. So my first example is usually if you have a team meeting and you have a safety moment on your team meeting agenda, lots of organisations do, tell me over the last month how many of those have been around psychological health and safety and how many have been around physical safety. And usually almost all of them are around physical health and safety. And so I say, how about you just do half and half? How about one week you do physical health, one week you do mental health? And of course, they both inter interact. But how about you just actually start to have that conversation? And then I also encourage them to talk about their own 
um, experiences of understanding more about mental health and wellbeing so that they can demonstrate to their employees, hey, I'm on a learning journey as well. And it may be that I've said or done things in the past that weren't that useful, but now I'm really trying and I'm moving ahead. So get them to do a safety share around the continuum, around a resource that I've provided to them. Um, we had one leader recently, I sat down with him and did a 12-month plan so that every second week for his safety moment, he'd have something he could reference around mental health. And it was just to share a resource, a podcast that he would listen to and then share um, just something so that he was able to start to demonstrate this is important enough for me that I'm in the learning mode, not pretending that I've done it all right until now, but I'm learning and I'm trying to share and develop something different. So that I, I think was really awesome because he was being really, really vulnerable in that space of not having all the knowledge and not having been perfect in this space in the past. Um, your question was, so what other cool things am I seeing in workplaces? I think obviously because it, especially from like an employee perspective, if you are just feeling like crap, the fact that it's invisible, it's very easy to say, oh, hey, like something physically is wrong, but it can be so hard and often really scary to think, oh, I have to like, I want to say to my manager, hey, can I talk to you? I'm not feeling that great. So what, what do you think? Is there anything that you would uh, recommend, I guess, is a way to kind of breach that, broach that conversation? So for the employee themselves who's experiencing it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, look, I think you're right. It's a really tricky one. Um, I can think of a time I was working in a mental health service and I had perinatal depression, didn't realise it at the time. Um, and then when I did realise it, did not disclose it in that workplace. It, it wasn't safe to disclose it. So I think it's about acknowledging why it feels really scary. Is it our own self-stigma? In my case, that was certainly the biggest um, factor at the beginning was that I didn't believe it could be me um, that might be experiencing that. Um, and then I think it's about getting some really good support from somebody you trust who can nut that conversation out with you and maybe practice that conversation if you're feeling really anxious. Um, and then choosing who in the workplace is the right person to talk to. Is your direct line leader somebody that you can have conversations with about things other than just technical aspects of your work? Um, and, and saying it in a way that, um, you know, clarifies what it is why you're telling them. So it might be that I say to you, Edda, I just need to talk to you about something. I've been recently diagnosed with depression and I'm just wanting to have a chat about what that means for me at work. Yeah, so you're putting the boundaries around it is what it means for me at work. You're not asking for every old wives' tale they've ever heard about around how to treat depression. Um, you're letting them know what your intention is in the conversation and um, using whatever terminology you're comfortable with is really important and not being pushed into other terminology by somebody else. Um, sometimes if you don't feel that you can do that with your line leader then maybe talking to your human resource department or if your workplace is large enough to have an employee assistance program talking with them and getting their advice because the benefit of the EAP is they also see it from the other side when the organisation is actually supporting employees they're often going to be part of that so they might be able to give you some insights and some ideas of, of how to approach it and I think if I can add one extra thing there if you are the leader that somebody has that conversation with how you respond is really critical do not respond by looking awkward by uh, don't talk to me about that that sounds really personal nothing like that right just respect that in the moment that human is connecting with you 
on what could be quite a vulnerable topic for some people. Some people are like, yeah, this is just what I've got. It's not a problem. It's all sorted. But for some people, it's going to have taken a whole bunch of processing to get to that point of sharing with you. So my suggestion to leaders is always that you respond with something like, thanks so much for telling me about that. Can you tell me what that means for you? Or can you explain? I know what that means for some people. Can you tell me what your experience of that at work is? So you're asking them to give you the constructs around what it means at work. You're not making any assumptions. Because if Ryan, if you and I are both in Edda's team, she's our manager, I come in this morning and say to her, I'm, I'm dealing with perinatal depression. And you come in this afternoon and say, you've got perinatal depression. Same label, totally different experiences likely. So mm. she can't just make an assumption that, oh, I know what Ryan's dealing with because I already talked to Tasha about that this morning. She needs to take an individual yeah. approach. And, you know, perinatal is, I think, mm. a classic example because we have a broad concept of it being around the birth of a child, but we often don't assume that men or that non-birth parents can experience it, but of course they can. Mm. And in a workplace setting, the non-birth parent is probably not getting as much contact with other health professionals, so may not get it picked up anywhere else. So if they're sharing it at work and they're willing to talk about it, that you know that can take a huge amount of um, of trust. And so make sure you honour that trust by responding in a way that says, I'm not going to jump in here and try and fix things. I'm not going to try and give you advice. I'm just going to listen really loudly to what you're telling me your experience is. I may then have to go off to HR or EAP and get some advice. But, you know, holding that space for someone telling their story is a really powerful form of connection. Absolutely. I just wanted to ask, I recently um, started a new job and I've actually, it's a bigger organization and I've actually seen the employee assistance program posters around the office and I actually have no idea what it is. I've been meaning to Google it for any listeners and myself that doesn't really know what it is. Can you give us just like a brief rundown of what an employee assistance program is? Yeah, so it's generally employer-paid counselling services for the employee's access, and it might be um, delivered by psychologists or social workers or counsellors, um, and they generally will have a contract with the organisation where they might say each employee gets up to six sessions per year is, is generally standard, sometimes a few less, sometimes a few more, that you don't have to pay for. Yeah, so the organisation pays for it. Generally, it is. there's only one exception I've seen to this, but generally it is going to be 100% private and confidential um, where the posters are up because you can get that number and you can ring them and say you're an employee here, but they never give your name back to the organisation. In the vast majority of cases, that's the strength of it. Um, they usually also have other elements of their programs so depending on who the provider is and what the contract's for they might also have a manager's assistance helpline so edda as our manager has just had you and i both come and share with her that we're living with depression she can then ring them and go right i've had these two employees i did a good job responding to them but what the heck do i do now and they will actually the senior org sites will usually walk the manager through this is what you need to do these are the steps and processes um and then they also might have things like um, training that they do in the workplace, like around sleep hygiene or financial literacy or all of those other, you know, aligned um, topics that really can have an impact on the mental health and well-being. Awesome. Thank you. That's very useful information. Mm. There's some great initiatives and great ideas. And, um, yeah, I guess, like, from that management perspective, ho holding space, holding a safe space for someone, 
Um, but also if you're an employee and another co-worker comes to you to also hold that safe space and, and, and you know, maybe maybe they picked you because they think that it's going to be safe to speak to you and, and to like be as welcoming and, and, and not try to solve their problems, be a listening ear. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's really, it's a good reminder that, you know, even as employees, we can, we can be supportive and, and create safe space. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the biggest programs we have been running in the last couple of years is our Workplace Mental Health Champions programs. And so we'll train up to 10% of the workforce in these various models of how to do that, how to hold that space for each other and not to be a counsellor, but to connect with the employee and then connect them with supports. But also to then get upstream and to be looking at, well, what are the risks in our workplace? How do we actually create a space that alleviate some of these risks by having those really open conversations. So, you know, some of the psychosocial hazards around um, excessive work demands or poorly managed change or um, bullying and harassment or, um, you know, um, lack of control that employees might sometimes have. So actually how do we both hold that space on an individual level but how do we hold that space collectively so we can look at what are the things that are potential risks here for our mental health and well-being and how do we try to redesign and manage our work in a way that alleviates those risks? Mm, mm, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Tasha, for taking the time to chat with us. That was um, a, an amazing interview full of so much information. We will ensure that everyone has access to your links and, and the um the two, two, what do you call it? The two factor quadrant, the four quadrants. You have all of my keys. Okay, we'll um we'll drop that in our socials for some food for thought, and and then um yeah, if anyone's out there who wants to learn more about mental health, um definitely have a look at Tasha's work. Yeah, look, we've got a few. I think four books, five books, something like that, on our website now. A couple of journals, a whole bunch of e-learning courses. So, if there is a leader and they want to develop their skills around managing workplace mental health, we've got a great program, and one for employees as well. But probably um, our new book, which is coming out in a week and a half, um, is definitely. Cool to plug and that's called the ecosystem of work and that's all around how we build psychosocial safety intersectional inclusion um, into a systems design of work the ecosystem of work sounds like my next book purchase thank you thanks both thank you so much tasha thank you A massive thanks to Tasha for making time to chat to us. We loved every bit of that conversation. Ryan, what are your highlights? I Yes, massive thank you to Tasha. It was an awesome conversation. Um, I really love the quadrant method of thinking about mental health because I 100% was guilty of thinking about it as kind of like a spectrum and, and quite linear. But thinking about it in that quadrant um, of, you know, people functioning, but, you know, they may have a diagnosed condition that they handle really well and they're super high-functioning people. And then there may be people who are really high-functioning and then they encounter a mental health issue and it really heavily impacts them. And all of a sudden, they're not such a high-functioning person anymore. So I, I think it helps kind of break down those, like, stereotypes of what we think mental health is 
um, and the way in which it can like, you can kind of lie anywhere on this quadrant. We'll put a link in the show notes to like one of these graphics, which I think is really cool. And you can kind of see, you know, maybe where you sit on this quadrant. Um, but I think it's a great way as well of, again, you know, it's about everyone. It's not just about people who have a mental health issue. It's, it's about everyone. We all lie on this quadrant somewhere. Yeah. Love the quadrant. We love the quadrant. That interview also got me thinking about how when we look after our people at work, yes, we see individual benefits and we see business benefits, but we also start to see benefits in society. Like the flow on effect goes way beyond the workplace and even to things like dinner times. How we feel at work is such a big conversation topic around the dinner table. So when we look after our mental health at work and we look after other people's mental health at work, if you're a leader, you're actually saving dinner time. People can actually talk about interesting things around the dinner table and not have to... Instead of just <laughs> venting about their jobs. Exactly, <laughs> like save dinner time. This, this, and how much time people get back when they don't have to talk about their job and vent as you say i would gain back years okay team thank you so much for joining us for another episode of work feels and a huge thank you to our guest tasha broomhall you can find tasha and blooming minds on linkedin Check out the amazing work Blooming Minds has on their website as well, bloomingminds.com.au. There's a few books on there, e-learning courses, and of course, as Tasha mentioned, the new book, which is available now, The Ecosystem of Work. And if you head to our social media, we are actually giving away a copy of Tasha's new book. All you need to do is head to our Instagram at workfeelspod and follow the instructions to enter the competition. The Ecosystem of Work is a 12-month guide for leaders to develop an ecosystem that manages psychological safety and helps your people and organization to flourish. We hope you enjoyed this chat all about mental health. This is just the tip of the iceberg with such a huge issue, but we hope you found this useful and enjoyed hearing Tasha's unique perspective. We'll be posting links to some really great websites covering off different types of mental health issues and where you can learn more and find some tools to use at work. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. We love hearing from you. Get in touch with your work stories, ideas or feedback via email, hello at workfeels.com or send us a DM on socials. You can find us on IG at workfeelspod or LinkedIn, just search Workfeels. Until next time, team, I'm Edda. I'm Ryan. And this is Work Feels.